We're heading to a time of teaching now. I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 3. Thank you, sir. And we're going to be hopping through a few different scriptures this morning, but that's going to be our main uh, landing spot for today. Now, this is always kind of a strange week of, of the year, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like we're just going to sleepwalk uh, through the end of this year. Uh, but in this, and for Sundays especially, it always seems when we have Christmas so close, uh, it's very, uh, very easy to kind of just skip past. You want to skip to the next thing, which is going to be this year. But uh, something that's just really struck me is that we serve a God who is always worthy of praise. And as we seek to learn from His Word this morning, I just want to uh, please pray with me as we begin. God, as we dive into your word, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, open us up to what you have to teach us this morning. We are here to uh, learn more about you as we seek to know you more. We long for the day when we will start to know you in your fullness and in your full glory. While we are here, help us to remain faithful. Thank you for the Christmas season that we just were able to experience. Thank you for what is to come. Thank you for being on your throne, for being worthy, as we just sang. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This year, more than any other, I think, has really uh, reminded us just how empty the holidays can be. If you joined us or if you tuned in online to the Christmas Eve service that we, had, uh, that we did with Wes Kay, uh, Michael talked about the message uh, he used at, kind of as his illustration, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And it struck me because one of the main themes of that special is uh, Charlie Brown uh, learns and he is just disillusioned with this idea of Christmas because it's just become too commercialized. Uh, and that movie came out in 1965. And the good news is that we, Charlie Brown did his job. We learned our lesson, didn't we? I mean, commercial, uh, the commercialization of Christmas has been over for 55 years, right? I mean, it's just gotten better. I mean, no, I mean, it seems that every year our desire to consume, to be catered to, to uh, especially around the holidays, it's just gotten worse year after year. Consumerism has poisoned the world, and it also has infected the church. We have prized entertainment and good vibes over correcting wrong behavior. And churches become social clubs where people gather together just to uh, congratulate each other on just how right they are. And the world passes us by and ignores us because we don't offer them anything different than what they can get anywhere else. I want our message to the world to be very clear. God created you for a purpose. And that purpose can only be determined by the God who created you. When when God created us, he imprinted upon us his own presence, his own likeness. He he put that on our hearts. and, and, And when we rebel, when we sin, when we separate ourselves from him, that we actually have this hole that when we remove that from us, then only God can fix that hole. Only God can repair that damage. And I say this because the message of Christmas is sinful. And it's not meaning that it's wrong. I'm alluding to the fact that Jesus came because we were hopeless without him. 
We fractured the relationship that God wanted to have with us. We were so broken that God himself came to earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life, and at the end of it, he sacrificed himself so that he could deal with the one problem that we are incapable of handling on our own, and that is sin. If you joined us for our first Advent service a few weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 1 where we learned that Jesus is the King. He's the king of the universe, the exact representation of our God. And he holds time and space together. He holds the laws of the universe in his hand. He is king of all of the wonderfully great cosmic things. But also, and hear this also, he wants to be king of your life. And I think that's what drew me back to to Colossians as I prepared for this week's teaching because it's a lesson that we all need to learn. We can't leave Jesus in the manger. If we want to live the life of blessing that our God wants for us, then we have to let him be the king of our lives. Because this is something that we need to remember, that this also means surrendering our idea of what a blessed life is. Calling yourself a Christian means that you are allowing God to redefine everything that you used to think that was important. We read in the scriptures that God is a jealous God. And this isn't some junior high nonsense like some dude's talking to my girl type of jealousy. It's that he knows how he created us. He knows how we are wired. He knows that if we don't give him the absolute first place in our hearts, then this won't work. We see it all the time. People whose life story, and this is their testimony to the world, is that all, all I need is Jesus and fill in that blank however you want to. Jesus and my bank account, Jesus and my house, Jesus and my family, Jesus and my career. The truth that we see laid out in scriptures over and over again that Jesus plus anything is idolatry. And if we don't want to be idolaters, then we need to look to our God and ask him to start defining what it is that we need. This is what I want to guide our our thoughts and our hearts as we approach this text today in Colossians 3 because what we are going to find is that the things that we used to think were so important that we needed to hold on to, they are actually holding us back. Surrendering to God is not enslavement. It's actually the opposite. When we let God be the king of our lives, we find freedom from the shackles that we have placed on ourselves. So let's read in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek the things that are above, where Jesus is. I can speak from personal experience here. In my 28 years of being a Christian and a decade plus in ministry, when I talk with people, and even I've, I've personally experienced it, when they just don't feel God's presence anymore. They, they did feel it once. They do believe. There's, there was, they had a season in their lives where they were just killing it spiritually. I mean, they, their prayer life was consistent. They felt the power of the Spirit moving in their lives. They could feel and see the presence of Almighty God. And then the world started creeping in. I I think it's kind of like, you know, the weather in Michigan from about now till March or April when, you know, we're going to get to see the sun like four times in that time. Uh, We always just like, it may not be cloudy today, but we know it's going to be cloudy tomorrow, right? There's just a splinter in our minds that we kind of know this won't last. We're never going to have a February that's 
90% sun, right? I mean, it's always going to be super cloudy. We can get all on fire, rah, rah, Jesus, but we're just waiting for the clouds to roll in. And we say, I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel God's presence like I used to. And we start moving around. We start trying to chase things, try to find where did God go. And, and I've got to tell you, that is 100% backwards. Because God's not some whack-a-mole machine trying to play hard to get. Go back to what you were doing when you were last close with him. When you last felt, felt his presence in a real way. Dedicate yourself to prayer. Dedicate yourself to his word. Seek the things that are above, as we're reading here. And I bet you're going to find God waiting for you right there. This is the same sentiment we get from Paul in Romans 12, where he says, Do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. In Hebrews 12, we read, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which tangles so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And finally, in Philippians 4, verse 8, we read, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I've waffled on whether or not to, to say this for a while, but here goes. All right, so because that's not what I see us thinking about, is that we have instead bought into the lie that somehow we are convinced that the world always needs to know what we are saying all the time or what we are thinking all the time. And yes, I'm talking about uh, the kind of this poisonous thing I think is really bad for us called social media. Guys, it's not leading to anything good. The church is destroying our witness to the world. We have created echo chambers where we just have our own thoughts shouted back at us, and I rarely see anything positive these days. I don't see the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I certainly don't see self-control because it's garbage in, garbage out. And I have to ask you, I mean, if you use, you know, Facebook or whatever it is for anything more than like cute pictures of your friend's kids or, uh, you know, cat videos or watching church online, all that I can get on board with. But if you've ever found yourself in some version of a social media fight, who wins? Nobody. We all lose whenever those things are going on. The moment that I feel myself starting to engage in debates online, I can actually feel my life actively getting worse. But here's the hope, is that if it's garbage in, garbage out, Paul is also telling us here the opposite is true. If we actually become people who are focused on the things that are above, if we lift our eyes to heaven, then we would naturally start being the people who create truth, honor, justice, purity, loveliness, and excellence. And our witness to the world isn't something that we would need to be blasting online in self-congratulating fashion because we'd be rooted in him. And back to Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The imagery here is deliberately violent, that we are to put to death that which is inside of us that is killing us. This isn't some peaceful transaction where you just need to try harder. The message of Jesus is not that you can now have a second, a third, or an 872nd try to do it better. No, Jesus says, if you come after me, take up your cross. Come and die. Because it is only after we kill what is holding us back that we can experience true freedom in this life. What type of people do we want to be? Do we want to be people who are full of life and glory? Or will we live lives filled with death? It reminds me of a passage in Philippians 2, back to Philippians in verse 14. It says, do all things without, it says grumbling here, but you also may have it translated complaining, which is accurate. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine. Amongst this crooked and twisted generation, you will shine as lights in this world. And I think that we can all get on board with the crooked and twisted generation part. I mean, because there's nothing more that we'd like than be able to point the figure out somewhere else. But the scriptures tell us, no, it starts by looking in the mirror. Now, and so why do you think that it is in Scripture, and if you need to check me on this, 1 Timothy 3, uh, when it talks about what leaders in the church are supposed to look like, and I think we should all aspire to do that, uh, it's included in this line that we are to be well thought of by outsiders. Why is that? Because shouldn't we, why should we care what people who don't really believe in God think? And because that's, if our stance is that of an arrogant jerk, then who's going to listen to us? If our core message is how wrong everyone else in the world is, as opposed to how good our God is, then our message is never going to get through. God is for the outsider as much as he is for any one of us. He wants to redeem the world in such a way that he will receive more glory and more honor. And by his immense grace, he's invited us to take a part in his redemption story. As we read in verse 10 of our passage, we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I warned you last week I was going to steal this line, so here it goes. Uh, But as Pat Hill shared with us last week, that there are no rights in Christianity, only gifts. You don't want God to be fair with us. And there is no gift that God has ever given us that was meant to be kept for ourselves. Freely you have received, and freely should you give. A couple of days ago, most of us had uh, some version of a gift exchange, probably, on Christmas morning. And uh, for me, because uh, 
Carrie's awesome, she actually does almost all, actually, let's call it what it is, 98% of our Christmas shopping is done by her. And so uh, in the morning, I get to, you know, hand out the gifts. And so I get to discover with my children what they got for Christmas. It's, I, she told me a dozen times, I mean, but my husband brain forgot it. So, uh, but we have this, we are giving our kids this combination of toys and clothes. Andrew gets some uh, drumsticks and it, is it just enough for them to unwrap them and say, thanks mom and dad and leave? That's not the end of it. I mean, because actually the enjoyment comes when I see them when I see them playing with the toys that we bought them, when I see them putting on the new clothes so they could go to grandma's house in the afternoon because they could want to be all dressed up in their new duds. I mean, the joy comes more and more as I watch my kids enjoy what we've given them. And Paul is telling us here, God is wired very much the same way. And listen to the gifts that he's given us. Listen to what he wants us to be using here. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And here's the kicker. This is the hardest one. Forgiveness. That is the crown jewel of God's gifts to us. He knew exactly uh, that how hard it was going to be for us to use this one. Because forgiveness means that you have to open yourself up to people who have wronged you. It means letting them continue to have a place in your life. It means you have to be open to being hurt by them again. Jesus knew what it meant when he came to earth. He knew exactly what loving us and forgiving us was going to cost him. And he, t- he did it all the same. And I ask you, and if you're like me, sometimes, do you ever like kind of enjoy, if there's somebody in your life that has actually wronged you, you can kind of like hang on to that anger? Nothing like a good, like, you know, hold it inside. Maybe you look at me like I have three heads, that's okay. Because uh, some of you are better people than, my, than me, that's okay. But if uh, sometimes... It, you just have to step back and realize if you have someone in your life that you actually are physically angry with, everything that you think, you just think about how, what is wrong with this person, how wrong they are, somebody probably thinks about that you. Somebody probably thinks that about you. And even if that's not true, our God has the right to feel that way about us. But God chose not to dwell in the darkness. He chose to forgive us. He chose grace and mercy. I've had this experience recently with somebody who wronged me, and I mean truly wronged me, uh, to the point, you know, questioning years of friendship with this person, and, and I spent months just shutting myself off from them. I, I mean, I wouldn't let them have any place in my life because it might mean that they can hurt me again. And uh, then a couple of weeks ago, just I allowed myself the chance to let something happen. It was just a little simple. It was just a text message. We, and it just the, the process of starting forgiveness and uh, it's it just the smallest thing, but we haven't gotten any of the big stuff yet, but the moment that I started viewing this person for what they are, a fellow broken human being, I've got to say, I mean, I physically felt better. I had been eating and drinking and filling myself with bitterness and darkness for months on end, and I had no idea I was doing it. In the moment that God's light started to shine through, I saw just how much that I had been carrying that I didn't have to. And now, the relationship's not reconciled. I, I don't, not by a long shot. I, it may never get back to what it was, but this is why we are to obey God even when we don't feel like it. 
And I would say, this is why we, why, why we should obey, even especially when we don't feel like it. Because this is the tricky thing about being a disciple of Jesus, is that faith is always found on the other side of obedience. And we only get the blessings of obedience after we have already surrendered in faith. Again, this is a time in our calendar when we're tempted just to throw a week away. You know, let's just uh, sleepwalk through the next few days and just get to the end. Let's put this great dumpster fire of 2020 behind us, right? And 2021, that's going to be the year that everything is made right. Guys, we were saying the same exact thing 12 months ago. If this year has taught us anything, it's how life can change on a dime. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We have a choice before us to continue down the road that is going to lead to brokenness and despair or to set our minds on the things that are above. We celebrate a season of Advent every year to remind us of this, that we remember the big ideas of what Jesus brought us. He came to earth with hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, last few days, uh, Carrie and I have been watching a documentary on uh, the Heaven's Gate cult, and it's actually been really fun where we, uh, just last night, we just saw, like, remember Y2K? Remember all the years leading up to that? How insane everybody was? It's actually, I forgot how crazy everyone was, but it, I only mentioned that just in this documentary, they actually, they're interviewing several people, and then they, someone comes on who's a religious scholar, and by this, I'm talking about someone who knows a lot about religion, but it changes nothing about them. So uh, they, they, know, they don't believe a word of what they know about. So, uh, but they interview this person who explained this concept of cognitive dissonance, how the human brain holds two conflicting beliefs at the same time. And the scholar said that when we start, that all of this actually started with Jesus and the early Christians. Uh, they, because if you thought Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the, the Messiah was always expected to be some political, military conquering king. And the Messiah wasn't supposed to die. And so when Jesus died, they, it, what he said was that all the followers of Jesus, they had to then rewrite or reinterpret Jewish history in order to make Jesus being the Messiah mean something different than they always understood it to be. Because, again, a conquering king who is going to come here and make Israel great again, that's always what they wanted. And this is still what some people are waiting for and expecting today. And I just have to ask these people, since when is God interested in meeting our expectations? What box have we ever created to put God into that does he fill perfectly and say, yep, this is fine. Guys, you nailed it. I'm going to go here and no further. Since when did we corner the market on defining who God is, or more importantly, what he can be. God is untamable and unexplainable, and this is what Jesus tells us. It is too small a thing for me to conquer the kingdoms of this world. I could do that whenever I want to. We tried the whole military power thing once with Israel, and it didn't end well. We tried it your way, now we're going to try it my way. I'm going to come as a king, but not the king that you think you deserve. I'm going to be the king that you need. I'm going to come as a king. And I have to ask, what kind of all-powerful king humbles himself to the point of being a baby? The most dependent, kind of useless thing on this planet. What kind of king comes and humiliates himself to the point of needing to be nursed, to have his butt wiped, to have his knees scraped? His snot wiped by his mom. Who goes through all the bumps and bruises of being a kid? And when he grows up, he is unjustly tried and executed while he's naked on a cross. What kind of king does that? Our king. 
Our king does that. We're going to take a moment and share a time of communion now as we consider this. Our king calls us to nothing less than absolute surrender to him. So what is our answer going to be? Please take a moment of reflection and we're going to share in communion. Then we're going to sing one more song of praise to our king.